Well, no demonic uh, locust armies today, so that's good. That's a good uh, turn of events for sure. But let me ask you, have you ever lived in the in-between? A season of life where normalcy is disrupted? I don't like the in-between myself. I'm more, uh, I really like and I value stability and predictability. That's just sort of my personality. So I rile against anything that threatens my sense of normalcy. I, I, I try to, I push away anything that might slip me into the in-between. Early in our marriage, my wife Molly had an older car that broke down, and we knew long ago that, long before that, that we were not going to fix it. Like, once it goes, you know, anyone have a car like that? It's like, once it goes down, that's it for me, man. That, this is the last, this is the last ride with this one. Well, her car finally uh, broke down, and we were not going to fix it, and so this abruptly pushed us into the in-between of car buying, which I hate more than anything. I just, I can't stand, I don't know much about cars, my dad didn't know much about cars, so... I just hate the whole process, that in-between. And we needed a car. We had two jobs, different parts of town, so we needed one quickly. And so we were quickly pushed into this in-between when normalcy is, a, is a disrupted. Now, the wise thing to do when you get into this situation is to research, to take your time, to look for the right fit, and be okay with life's disruptions in the meantime. I was not wise. I wanted this done as soon as possible. So I, I, I scheduled one afternoon. I said, I'm buying a car this afternoon. I don't want to live in this in-between. I don't like all this. I'm just, I'm going, I'm buying it. So I walked down to the first tiny little lot I found and bought the very first car I saw that I could afford. But the like sight on scene, I'm like, I can't, I, can't, I, don't, I don't like this. My blood pressure was up. Just, I'll take it. Now, this was a big mistake. This is a big mistake. This car was a complete lemon. Uh, after e not even a year went by and the transmission failed on it, and I had to start the whole process over again. It was not my, uh, my, my best moment in the world. Now, we can look back. We laugh at it now. You know, it was the very first car I purchased on my own as an adult, right? And it was just a complete disaster. But I just, I hated that, like, oh, what are we going to do? And that, I just, I wanted to get rid of it as fast as possible. And we look back on it now, and we laugh about it. But there are other in-betweens that are a little bit more heavy, aren't they? Maybe you're in the middle of a move, or a change in jobs, or a season in life, and it's hard, and it's scary, and it's uncomfortable. I know uh, Adam and Michelle Richbard, they're trying to sell their home right now, and that, just that pressure of like trying to sell the one house while trying to buy the next house, and they actually had an offer that came in, they accepted it, and then it fell through, so it like extended, right, this like season of the in-between. It's just, it's a hard place to be, it's difficult, it's scary sometimes. I have a friend uh, who just uh, accepted a job. He's a pastor friend who just accepted a job at a church in Idaho. Uh, he's from Pennsylvania. So this is a big, he has now been pushed into this in-between season where he, he, he and his family are going to be moving there. He just wrote me an email just this week. I asked him how it was going. And uh, well, he said this. He says, as you already know, I accepted the call to Trinity Church in Idaho. However, I need some supplemental income in order to move my family out there. The housing market and cost of living are pretty high. I've been applying for part-time jobs, but haven't been able to land anything yet. And I really don't feel comfortable listing our house here in Pennsylvania prior to locking in that additional income. I'll be honest with you. At this point, I'm discouraged and even frustrated with the fact that God could make all the pieces fall into place 
and yet he hasn't. Have you ever been in that in-between where God has made all the pieces fit and yet they haven't? We are waiting to make the move and yet we find ourselves at a standstill. He literally wrote, and uh, I had already, I had already uh, titled the sermon at this point, and he, uh, he literally wrote, we're living in the in-between. So we're living in the in-between. Have you ever been there? Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a move. Maybe it was just a, a season of life. Your family's transitioning. It's a new season of life. And it's just, it's not very comfortable to be in. It's like God has made all the pieces fall into place, and yet he hasn't. It's discouraging and frustrating. We don't really like the in-between. But today in this passage, we actually find ourselves, in, in, in terms of just sort of the flow of the text, we find ourselves in the in-between. Right? We're in the middle of uh, this middle section of Revelation. And there's these, in this middle, there's these three cycles of sevens. Seven seals we looked at. Seven trumpets now we've been looking at. And later on, seven bowls. Using different images and symbols and pictures. They are revealing truths in this period between Jesus' resurrection and return. It's a season in, 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 the, in the text that's describing an in-between. See, I've been taking us through the seven trumpets. Let's just kind of review. If you've, if you've missed some time here, let's just do a very quick review. I've been taking us through the seven trumpets. And what we noted in these seven trumpets is that these trumpets kind of call back to the plagues of Egypt. So we've been from about A, uh, 8B, uh, and now we're moving in. Uh, we'll head into uh, chapter 11 next week. So we've kind of been dealing with these seven trumpets. And we noted that these seven trumpets are a callback to the plagues of Egypt. We'd he- we heard a trumpet one, trumpet two, trumpet, and all of a sudden you kept going like, yeah, I've heard this story before. The six trumpets, the first six trumpets are hail and water into blood, bitterness, darkness, locusts, and death. It's giving us vivid images of what life looks like when you've been given over to your sin. These trumpets have been described, and we've been talking about for the last three weeks. These trumpets are describing what happens when we bow to the little gods of our world, and then God gives us over to them. That's what the plagues were meant to do. You, you, you want to bow to these gods? Okay, here you go. Here's the full brunt. Here's the full force of them. Darkness and death, what life looks like when you've been given over to your sin. And these trumpet plagues, they were meant to warn. They were meant to wake up. They were meant to call to repentance. But at the end of our passage last week, after the sixth trumpet is blown, we are told that like Pharaoh, despite all of these plagues, all of these trumpets, all of these warnings, at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 9, the rest of mankind, it says, who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They didn't repent. Trumpet one, trumpet two, trumpet three, four, five, six, all the way till death itself to try to bring the world back, to warn them, to bring them to repentance. And they say the nations in verses 20 and 21 of chapter nine, the nations don't repent. And so at this point, you would expect what? If, if we're going in kind of the chronology, if we're just kind of going with the flow of the story, you'd expect the seventh trumpet. Okay, here we go. Right? We gave you the six. You didn't warn. We, we gave you death itself. And you didn't repent. And so now it's time for the seventh trumpet. The final, the ultimate, the end game trumpet. It's the end of the world 
as we know it. And you would expect it to come today. But it doesn't. I mean, right, we can all count. One, two, three, four, five, six. No repentance. Bam. Seven. And yet, it doesn't come. Before the seventh trumpet is sounded, before the final judgment takes place, there's this interlude, this intermission, this in-between. And that's where for the next two weeks we're going to land. We're going to be sitting in this in-between. And we are told about this in-between actually in our text today, in in verse 7. If you've got your Bibles, take a look. In verse 7 it says, But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet. We're in those days. This is is the point in in the text, in the flow of the narrative that we're in. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, something has to happen before. There's that blank space, right, in that, in that image. There's that blank period before that seventh trumpet sounds. The mystery of God's will, uh, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So it's like God saying, okay, I've given you six trumpets. I've given you over to all of them. I've given you plagues, out your, and you haven't repented. So, Right before this seventh trumpet comes, there's, there's this mystery to God that has to be accomplished, and it's going to be announced. And in fact, it's already have been announced by the prophets. The prophets have already been speaking into this mystery that I've been warning you about and telling you about and hoping you'd come to. There's these days before the seventh trumpet. There's the season of living in the in-between until the mystery of God is announced and accomplished. And it says God has already started announcing it through his prophets that have gone before. So let's go back and see when the prophets have announced this already. If you have your Bibles, flip to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. In Ezekiel chapter 1, in the very first chapter, in some of the very first verses— it describes Ezekiel's inaugural vision. It's when God comes to him and kind of sets the tone and says, hey, Ezekiel, you're going to be my prophet and you're going to speak these words. And so he gives him these images of what Ezekiel is meant to do. So Ezekiel looks up, he hears a voice from heaven, and he sees this figure. And what he says, what's written is that I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal. So there's this glowing metal figure and a voice he hears from heaven. It was full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds. So he hears a voice from heaven, full of fire, brilliant light, like a rainbow in the clouds. And then to represent this calling, this figure brings him. It, he actually, it says he floats. I don't know if that's real, but he, he kind of flies. I don't know where, where that came, but he, he flies. And then he shows him this vision of what he is going to do. Get a load of this. Son of man, he says, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, now go to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not to be sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. So he says, take a scroll and eat. It is sweet as honey. 
Speak my words. Prophesy. But do not go to other peoples or languages or nations or kings. Go to my people, Israel. So when John is writing in Revelation 10 that he heard a voice from heaven full of fire, shining like brilliant light, robed like a rainbow in the clouds, and then given a scroll to eat that is sweet as honey, just as it was announced to the prophets, everyone would have understood that. Everyone would have been like, oh yeah, that's Ezekiel, of course. I mean, all the images are right there. In verse 7 even, it says, yeah, yeah, I've I've said this already. I've already been telling you all about this. I've been trying to tell the people of Israel for a while now. I told Ezekiel this very thing. I came to him in the very same way. Everyone have read that and been like, oh, yeah, 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 that's that's Ezekiel. God's been announcing this through his prophets for a while now. Ezekiel heard a voice from heaven full of fire, shining like a brilliant light, robed like a rainbow in the clouds, and then given a scroll to eat that was as sweet as honey. And then he was commissioned to speak God's words, prophesy, announce to the nation of Israel. And sure enough, now John is told in the last line of the chapter, in this in-between chapter, he is told, you now must now go prophesy anew. Now you, John, are, are to go and prophesy again anew. I, I, I did it before. I, I told Ezekiel, my prophet, to, to do this, and, and now, it's, now it's time again. In this in-between, before that seventh trumpet is sounded, you, you, I want you to go and I want you to do that again. I need, I need you to prophesy again. John is commissioned to speak God's words, to prophesy, to announce that the mystery of God will be accomplished. He is to announce that the mystery of God is to be accomplished. And now, by extension, because he's inviting all the churches to read it and to follow in his footsteps, by extension, that becomes our commission as well. That we then take this mystery of God and announce it, that this mystery of God is being accomplished, and go announce it to the world. Because we continue to live in the in-between. We continue this story. The seventh trumpet hasn't sounded yet. We're still here. It is not the end of the world as we know it yet. So we find ourselves still in the story, Right there in that middle. In the in-between. You see, we continue to live into it. The seventh trumpet hasn't sounded, but we live right there in that blank space. The world continues to experience the judgment of the six trumpet plagues. That's what we've been looking at for the last three weeks now, I think it is. We see the world continue to live under the condemnation even though they don't know it or wouldn't even have words to describe it, there's a death and darkness to our world. These trumpets continue to, to sound. These trumpets continue to blow. Warning, calling, wake up to repentance. Waiting for that last trumpet to blow. Waiting for it to sound. God continues to give people over to their sin. 
But the consequences of sin, the judgments, the darkness and death still have not brought many people to repentance. It's our story too. So before the trumpet sounds, before the final judgment takes place, we wait until the mystery of God is announced and accomplished. We live in the in-between. So what does the Lord ask of us in this in-between? The same thing he asks John. He tells John, you must go prophesy anew. What do we do in the in-between? What do we do in that blank space? Go. Just like John, go. Prophesy anew. Take the scroll and eat. Speak my words. It's as sweet as honey. The psalmist, they reflect on this as well. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I will gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Go prophesy anew. These, these words are sweet. The, it, the, the six trumpets, they're bringing death. They're bringing destruction. Go speak a sweet word that guides you on the path, gains understanding, guides us into truth. Go speak that word. We continue to be his prophets in the world, armed with the truth of his word. And and the word prophet just simply means a speaker or a messenger. We're not talking an office of the prophet. We're just saying as a messenger, as a speaker, go prophetically, go speak God's truth in the world as we wait in the in-between. Follow in the footsteps of Ezekiel. Follow in the footsteps of John before him and continue to be a people prophesying Again, speaking truth to a world that is dark and filled with death as they endure the plagues and continue to endure the plagues. As you wait in that in-between before that final trumpet sounds. One thing uh, the the band uh, knows about me is I actually still get very nervous when I speak. I've done it enough uh, now that, you know, usually you do something enough and it starts to become normal. I'd say that that's true, but I still kind of get, kind of like when I used to play basketball in high school, like before a game, I kind of have this like anxious energy. So you don't see it, thankfully, but I kind of pace the back during during the worship. That's why I'm not down front. I don't think I could like just be able to handle it. So I'm just kind of pacing in the back, if you will. And uh, sometimes I forget to turn my mic like to mute. And uh, thankfully it doesn't come in the house, but it does come in our band's ears, like because they're, they're hearing the ears and there's no way to disconnect that. And so every once in a while I'll forget and I will just be mumbling nonsense. I mean, you, it, it really is. You should ask them. And they're hearing it in their ears going, what is Brian doing back there? I'm just like, I don't know what, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of pacing as I go. But there is this, I've actually never told anyone that. I've actually never told anyone this, but I, there's this prayer I pray every single time I get up to speak. And I've been doing it since I was in high school. Uh, I've been speaking, uh, uh, one of my summer jobs is actually pulpit supply, so my dad was a pastor, and so what I would do is I'd write, and this is actually, it it was a pretty good gig, I'd write one sermon, right, and then I'd send letters to all of my dad's pastor friends and say, when you're on vacation, I will come and I will speak at your church. So I would fill my, I would fill every Sunday in the summers by dra- traveling around western New York to different churches of friends of my dad's and, and pulpit supply uh, 
in high school. I, I would go around and do that. And I only had to write one sermon because no one had ever heard it before. So write one good standalone sermon and preach it all. Man, I just had that thing memorized by the time I was done. I, I didn't even use notes. I just came in and, and did it. But I started doing something ba- even back then in high school. I was reading through places like Ezekiel where God gave him this image of a scroll to eat. And I was reading through places like in Isaiah, where God actually uh, brings this coal, this, this fiery coal, and it touches Isaiah's lips as, as a way to kind of visually say, I'm going to speak my words through you. I'm going I'm to touch your lips so that you can speak my words. And I developed this little prayer, and I pray it every single time. I've never told anyone this before. But I say, God, touch your coal to my lips. Give me your scroll to eat. And put your words in my mouth, then I may speak your truth. Because I believe that's what God is doing. That's why we stand when we hear God's words. And then, and then we say, obviously, for mine, but I, I believe that somehow th- there's this, uh, there, the Holy Spirit works as we begin to speak truth to one another. And it's like, it's like a, a little bit of a, a, a prophetic word, a, a way to be able to say, here's God's truth for you. In a way, there, there's something that's, that's inside of me that's coming up. It's not really of me, right? It's not my scroll. I didn't write it. But it's God's scroll given to me and given to you to prophesy anew, to, to speak a new truth, a, a word. Not a different word. God's truth is the same yesterday, today, but anew for a new generation, anew for a new, uh, a new listener, a hearer, a, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, someone that needs to hear that gospel truth. And it just sort of comes out. I, I was, um, we were sitting with some neighbors even last night. The, the, one of our neighbors let us go over and use their pool. And so we were sitting around with some of these neighbors. And uh, one of our neighbors uh, donated, I, you know, I, did, uh, I did like pulpit supply when I was in high school to make some money. Uh, he gave plasma. He had, it's like O uh, type blood. So he like twice a week just like ki- continued to give uh, a plasma. And he, uh, that's how he paid for the, his ring uh, for his wife. So she literally has a blood diamond. They joke about it. She has a blood diamond. He paid for it in his own blood, literally, this ring. But he also said they were using that uh, in order to help do some research to help with uh, women who are pregnant and their blood type and the baby's blood type are at odds. And so their body will actually attack the baby thinking it's a foreign thing. And so they actually use the research from, uh, you know, from him and others uh, in order to figure out how to, how to do that and reverse that so that the baby could be safe. And he estimated that about 20,000 babies were saved because of, because of what he and a few others did as he donated. And we thought, that's, that's really cool. And he made this comment. He said, yeah, so I think, I've got a, I think I've got a lot of good karma stored up for that, he said. Good karma. And then he realized, he knows what I do. We, we actually have good spiritual conversations a lot. But he turned and he's like, oh, yeah, that's not, that's not your thing though, right? That's not what you, that's not what you believe, right? The whole, that's not your deal. I, we laughed. I said, no, that's not my deal. And then the prophetic word came, right? That the scroll that's inside. And it was very simple, but it's just like, there's nothing we can do to earn a place with God. There's nothing we can do. That's why we need Jesus. And he knows that I'm a Jesus guy, and so we've talked about that. But a, a prophetic word just flows out. Prophesy anew for a new generation, a new people. Truth, because he's living with the plagues of the first six. And, and that, that seventh trumpet, it's, it's about to sound. It's coming. 
So take the scroll and eat. And let it prophesy anew. Speak a a word to him, a truth for him that he desperately needs to hear. People need to hear an announcement that the mystery of God has been accomplished. Follow in the footsteps of Ezekiel to announce that the mystery of God will be accomplished. But here's the difference. There's actually two differences between Ezekiel's vision and John's. The first one is this. Ezekiel was told, you are not to be sent to the people of obscure speech and strange language. You're not supposed to go to them. You're only supposed to go to Israel. Israel needs to hear this first. You, you are to go there. But what, did John, what did, was John told? John was told, you must prophesy anew before many peoples and nations and languages and kings. They would have picked up on that difference. Ezekiel, you were, you were told not to go anywhere else. You're not being sent to people of obscure language. But now, John, you're going to prophesy anew. And you're going to go to the whole world. Because this needs to be announced everywhere. This mystery of God is for everyone. So it now gets announced as such. But here's a second difference. The second difference is the mystery of God is being and is already accomplished. It's being and it's already accomplished. You see, Ezekiel prophesied about a day when God would someday accomplish that which he set out to do. But we know on this side of eternity, we know the end of the story We know, as Ephesians says, with all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will. And while it hasn't been accomplished yet in its fullness, we know what's going to happen. And in some way, we can speak as if it already has. It's been made known. It has been accomplished. The seventh trumpet has not sounded, but the victory has already been won because somebody hung on a cross. And it was my sin who held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. We are living in the already, but not yet. It's here, and yet it's coming. It's it's the mystery of God that we can cling to, hang on to, live by, and yet the echoes of the seventh trumpet haven't yet sounded yet. We live, friends, in the in-between. We live in the in-between where it has and will be accomplished. Let's reflect on that for a sec. Let's invite the band up. We'll reflect on that for a a minute here. See, all of life is an in-between. And and, and sure, there are are moments, there are seasons, there's the move, there's the the change of jobs, there's the car buying. But in reality, all of life is the in-between. And it's hard living in the in-between. God has made all the pieces fall into place, and yet he hasn't yet. It's the mystery of God. 
it can be discouraging and it can be frustrating. This is why the passage says that God's word is sweet to the taste, but it's sour to digest. Did you pick up on that? It's sweet going down because his word is sweet. And yet it's hard to live with. It's not always agreeable to your system. It's hard when you're living in the in-between. And we know God's word is sweet, but man, it's hard sometimes to live with. I I just found out this morning that our sister-in-law's father just died. He had three sons, and they were planning a hiking trip up Mount Washington in New Hampshire. And yesterday on the way up, he had a heart attack, and he died. Man, that, that sure turns your stomach, stomach sour, doesn't it? That's not the way it was supposed to be. Because we're living in the in-between. The already, but not yet. Where we experience the consequences of sin, knowing that it's already been accomplished in the end. It's, it's a mystery. And yet, we know it's been accomplished. We live in the in-between. But what's sweet about it is that he knew Jesus. He knew the end of the story. He knew the mystery of God's will. And he knew that it was finished, even though we have to wait. Even though his sons now will have to wait. It's the already, but not yet. So what does the Lord ask of us in the in-between? You must prophesy anew. He calls us as the church to go in the footsteps of Ezekiel, in the footsteps of John, to go bring this sweet word to the world, not just to a singular people, but for the whole world. Prophesy anew. Because his intent, Ephesians 3, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be announced to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He accomplished it in that. So what does that look like, friends? What does it look like for us in the in-between? Well, friends, that's Revelation 11. And we'll get to that next week. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you've given us a sweet word. And we are so thankful, God, that you allow us to live in a world free of the plagues because you've accomplished on the cross our freedom. You've accomplished from the beginning to set us free. But Lord, it's hard in the in-between. It's hard in the in-between. So Lord, help us, move us, allow us to prophesy anew a word that's sweet to the lips, even though it's sour sometimes in the stomach. It's hard. So just with these next words, with this next song, God, will you just give us an encouragement in the midst of the in-between? that you are the cornerstone, you are the rock that we stand on, knowing that it is finished. And we pray for our world that they might hear this sweet, 
sweet song, that it will taste sweet in their mouths, and that they won't follow Pharaoh, but they will come. They will come to your feet. They'll come to your cross and repent. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.